Okay, so it's recording now. I'm hoping that the batteries are going to last up. It's a bit nerve-wracking sometimes. Okay. It's like it, it makes it scary because it's got three bars on the battery. So it feels really extreme when there's only one bar, but actually it generally means you've got long enough to record an hour of conversation. Right, Touch right. wood, I hope I'm not jinxing this. To just hear someone talk about things that have happened to them and reflect on them is so immediate. It's so immediately close yeah. to people that you've never met. Because working in media, people think of it as cool. I feel pretty confident saying that to people at a party, and I actually would feel a little more insecure telling them what makes my heart sing and what I really, you know, what my dreams are and what I am aspiring to. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. So today we're getting better acquainted with Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dave. Ah, well, it's, it's strange. We've just been having quite a... We were having a really good in-depth conversation. And then I had to break it off to put the microphone on and I've thrown my own mind by doing something. You're probably like one of the guests that I don't know at all. Mm. Like coming here, I was like, like normally I've prepared, I've got like a list of things about someone's life I want to like find out a little bit more about. I like, mm-hmm. really don't know you at all. The first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know? Well, we are connected through Spark London. We've met probably a couple of times, yeah, I think so. just briefly, I think, and then met properly in Edinburgh. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you are a voice that has been on the podcast before. I had you in the Edinburgh special. That's true, yeah. I listened to it. It was really good. So I've, I did a bunch of Spark events, open mic events, and then Canal Cafe, and I think I saw you at some open mics, and you probably saw me, but then, yeah. First I saw one. you at the Pets one, I remember distinctly, I think, in Princeton. And that's the first time I think I remember knowing you. When the Edinburgh thing happened, because Spark went to the Edinburgh Festival and it invited its popular storytellers that had done well in London up, and you were one of them. Mm-hmm. And I went down and did that. I, I was one of them too on the first night. So we were on the stage together on that first night. Mm. And I was doing all of that because I was doing the social media for it. I had to like research all of the names on like the spreadsheet. And yeah. So like I listened back to all of the stories again. You know, like, I listened back to your story again, and I was like, oh, that's Ben. You know, I like that. That's when I put the story and the person to the name. Right. So you listen to my pet story again? Yeah, I think so. That's the one that's up like, online, isn't it? No, the one on iTunes is a different one. It's the first one I ever told at Spark. Okay, what is that? One? It's about moving here at 13, having lived in the Caribbean when I was younger. And going to, you know, proper high school for the first time. Oh, maybe you're up there twice. Maybe you should check. I don't know. Some people are. Possibly. But not very many people. Spark doesn't like to have the same people on each week, I should say. Yeah, I kind of figured that, I think. Spark wants to be a varied stage, you know. 
it's, it's, it's awkward, I think, because people who get the bug for it, we want to go back and tell more stories, because it's like, yeah, it's a great opportunity to do that. But Spark also wants to capture as many stories as possible. Absolutely, yeah, and, and give totally everyone the opportunity to, to have those out there. The good thing is that I've been in contact with them, and I have recordings of all my subsequent stories after that first one that went up. Well, Spark does give everybody their, their recordings when they do it, so it's, it's good. if you're interested in audio stuff, like I've used listeners to this show, regular listeners will know I've used Spark stories on as my part of my podcast oh, really? all the time, yeah. Spark doesn't mind that at all, because it's, it's, it's not cheap. Plug it. Quote, yeah. Mm. yeah. So, okay, so your first Spark story was about moving from the ground. Oh, I should ask you the second question before I, before I try and freestyle it, which is, what do you do now? For work? However, you want to interpret that question. Okay, I work for a digital media company uh, that does. Sorry, I don't, I didn't laugh. Is fine. that not what you expected? No, I don't know what I expected. I just find the words digital media like it provokes a, a laugh in my mind. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Do you have that feeling as well? Not really. I mean, it's hard to know what to call it. The yeah, company that's I work the problem for. of all of these things. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, what do I work in? You know. I was a podcast. What do, what do I call myself? What industry do I call myself? God knows. Mm, that's true. So, what is digital media? Well, the particular company that I work for does some post-production and duplication, archiving of digital media. Basically, TV programs work for a lot of different TV companies. Okay. So, for example, we'll get old tapes in, old DigiBeta tapes. We'll ingest them, digitize them, and then you know send them out to a playout center and have them play on TV. Okay. So what I've been doing for them for the last two years is editing. For a long time I was syncing foreign audio, foreign dubs to kids' TV programs. So like, you know, different languages, Russian or whatever, put it under a TV show and sync it to the English audio to make sure it matches up before it plays on TV. Yeah, and then I kind of moved up to doing compliance editing, which is basically where shows that are made in the US have to be edited for sort of UK and European broadcasting standards. So there's certain content that can't be shown because the laws are slightly different and yeah. That's what you do. That's what I do. That's my yeah. That's my day job. Is that what you would answer if you were at a party? Is that what you do? That's what you do. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, is that what you also feel? Do you feel that represents you? I guess. I, that's why we're always hesitant to say what we do. Isn't it? So. I mean, I think because working in media, people think of it as cool. I feel pretty confident saying that to people at a party, and I actually would feel a little more insecure telling them what makes my heart sing and what I really, you know, what my dreams are and what I am aspiring to. Well, what does make your heart sing? Well, like, um, doing spark, like, telling stories on stage, like, doing that, feeling that, you know, having that creative outlet has been, like, that's been, I don't know, a big change and it's been a real boost in confidence in the last year and I felt very creatively satisfied by it. The whole goal of working in media is to try and um, make connections and gain experience that will help me to do creative things. So I know, yeah. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I'm similar. I mean, I don't, I don't work in media. I don't even do anything. I, my, my job doesn't even make me those connections. I've often thought what I should have done is go into 
the creative industries at a low level early on and just work my way up. Just, like you're saying, being around those people and being in the right rooms, you know, it does seem to be important. Absolutely. I mean, it takes a lot of time. That's what's tricky about it. So there isn't a whole lot of time for making the art outside. And like, but I feel like it'll feed in, and it's already feeding in. And if I want both, if I want the security of having a regular job and knowing that I'm whatever going to be able to have all the things I need, at least this way, I'm getting to mix with people who will have the same passions as me. You know? As opposed to say working in a bar and then working away on my own all day and trying to make things. You know, like this way, there's guys my age at the company, guys and girls who are also, you know, want to make stuff. And uh, yeah, that's what's really good about it. That I've made those kinds of connections. Yeah, that's great. And I've and I've learned so much. Like I'm really not a technically minded person. I'm like no one really knows that because my job title would suggest that I know a lot about technical things. But uh, everything I know. I've just had to pick up since I started working there. I'm not naturally, you know, I feel like some guys at my company, they can hear something, some bit of technical jargon, say, and they'll take it in and they'll know it. For me, I have to drill that kind of information into my head. It, it's, you know, it's not a natural interest of mine, so it's not that easy to remember. That's good. I mean, it's good that you've got that skill then to do that. Yeah. I think I can do that for some things. I wish I had that. Like, I can't do that for financial things, like mm. in my own life. I just cannot drill into my mind how to do those things. Like, even though I know that I must be able to, I must be able to understand it. Like, if I could just break them down in the right way and there are things I understand that are as technically complex as a financial bill so why can't I you know, it must be something else so, yeah. I mean if, if something's not meaningful to you and if it's not like going to be applicable on a daily basis then it is just kind of going to it's going to leave your head at some point I think the other like the really rewarding thing about working there and doing such a technical job like editing on Final Cut Pro is that I've wanted to make films that was really my like, career objective from maybe like 18, say. He did uh, inverted commas when he said career objective, just to uh, you know, <laughs> Yeah, quote unquote. Um, and I kind of always felt like, because I went to some different film schools, I kind of always felt like everyone else who was interested in doing film like as a job were these really technically proficient guys and I just wasn't interested in that part of it at all. Like I really wanted to make films, but it wasn't that that I was like, wasn't finding it through that. It was more storytelling, I guess, yeah. that it comes back to. And that was always a fear, like, oh, if I'm not really technical, how am I going to compete with all these guys who are? And doing a job where I'm, I'm required to be, I feel like that's just put a lot of those doubts, you know, like out of my mind. Exactly, yeah, you can pick it up. Well, that's what I've discovered. I mean, I, I, I'm not technical, like you're saying, similarly, but I've learned how to do basic web stuff. I've, done, I've worked, learned how to do audio completely, like, maybe I'm not proficient in it, but at least I you know, I've, I've actually can make stuff that I'm happy with the actual product. And it's the same with music production. Like, I make music, and, and it, I, I never thought I could compete with anybody, like, that did know that stuff with all these technically-minded people. It took me years to have the confidence to just sit down and work out how it works. Mm-hmm. But once I did that, I still don't, I only know what I need to know. I don't ever learn how it works. I just learn a pathway to what I need to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if I, if, if I taught someone how to do what I do, then they would probably be like, you can just do this. 
you know, and then I'd be like, well, I'm blow my mind. Oh no, that actually does end up happening to me at work sometimes, where I've learned something by rote, and I've learned the exact steps to making that thing happen, but I don't actually know why it happens, you know? And then if I have to show someone else, all I can show them is my weird... It's like it's almost like a superstition, isn't it? Like, you've got that feeling. It's like walking, or like walking five times up and down the road. Oh yeah, I have to do yeah, it exactly have to do this, this way. way. <laughs> I remember the day that I was that I learned how to use shortcut keys. It was like it blew my mind. Mm. <laughs> um, the other thing about like sort of you know, technical ability and technical polish is that like the really I don't know when you look at a piece of work can be really stylish and you know a lot of technique could have gone into it but if there isn't substance there no one's really going to be fooled at the end of the day you know so I feel like you can have all that stuff you can be really good with a camera or really good at editing or whatever and if you don't actually have something to say and a, and a good story to tell then you're only going to really get so far substance or content yeah, absolutely. is the most important part everything else is just cherries on top that is, sounds like the most obvious thing to say but it's it's not thought about it, it really isn't and you kind of look at everything that's out there the mainstream I guess and um, it, it, you know it, 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 it does need to be said yeah. even though it feels really obvious to me yeah. some people don't know that oh, sure. and I feel like especially people who are making short films for example like they kind of go head first in with um, with uh, like image for example and they want to make something look really cool and look really kind of stylish and you know be beautifully shot or whatever but they you know they don't actually have anything that they want to say there's actually no content there to shoot in a beautiful way and so I don't know that, that can definitely impress some people to see something that's shot really well for example if it's a film but yeah like I said I think it only gets you so far and there are plenty of things that I've seen that are maybe not that slick and are maybe a little bit homemade looking or kind of lo-fi I guess where you have writing and acting say that transcend whatever kind of technical setbacks there are and you could turn those things to your advantage I always think Absolutely. Like, I, I've got really into certain kinds of lo-fi sounds probably as a necessity but lo-fi music can be really really good because it's lo-fi like the, the crackle or whatever of the tape mm-hmm. things that can really make things tick and I think it, it's like in my podcast like we were saying so I think off my moments that happen that are wouldn't normally happen they couldn't happen in the studio like when a dog came up and like like sniffed the mm. microphone one time or like when someone was talking about reading a poem about birdsong and birdsong happened in the background at the same time as she said that you know there's kind of magical moments where where something is, is captured like that it's interesting when we're talking about you know, I'm just going to do two things while I'm pressing stop and saving the file this is a good moment to say to you that Getting Better Acquainted has been commissioned for 13 episodes on Resonance FM. There'll be half-hour edits of some of the first 100 episodes that went out. And they'll be airing on Thursdays at 7.30. And the first one will be going out on the 4th of April. So if you listen to Resonance FM... Check that out. Tell your friends. Tell anybody that you know to have a listen to Getting Better Acquainted on the radio. So, let's check.
checking the time and I was also restarting it just in case I, I get paranoid just one time and not, like, but you did the whole thing and it didn't record yeah one time but it, that will haunt me now forever I and mean, that's kind of the thing about technical equipment is uh, you always have those te- horror stories like I lost a bit of a, a, a I lost loads of a novel once you know just you did it, yeah but like everybody's had those experiences and it doesn't seem to me it doesn't matter how much you use computers or technical stuff you still occasionally slip up like it still happened it's just it's just never learning fully it really winds me up I guess I'm going to take that that opportunity of where we were getting at in that conversation to to about because we were talking about sort of content and style I guess and their relationship you are a guy who has a certain kind of style would you say like a distinctive style do you mean sartorially? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'd like. To. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm not lo- knocking you about it. Actually, it's weirding me out because when I ask people how they know me and people who knew me back in the day, they often say they noticed me first because I had I have a distinctive sense of style. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to regain a bit of that. That's why I'm wearing my, uh, my hat today. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I'm, and I'm actually feeling like more myself at the moment. So I think the hat thing is, is part of that. And I'm going to start wearing my hats again. And uh, the thing is, I got into sound and so I've had these big headphones. I'm just like, I need to have hats. I mean, I've been, every time people see me, they comment on my headphones. And it's not a part of my style that I've, that I've decided on for appearance. It's to do with... Uh, sound quality and so I want to look good like I do like looking good I do like looking my idea of looking good mm-hmm. I, my idea of style like what I like to do is be anachronistic and stick loads of different like influences together yeah 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 and th- that was cool when I used to be like the only person who did it but now like Doctor Who does it all the time it makes me feel like intimidating I like to do the same thing actually I think it's in the same way that you do but I really like to mix stuff that's like maybe really uh, trashy like I buy a lot of sports wear and a lot of stuff from like sports direct I love um, and like you know I'm wearing Nikes right now and that's right Nike shorts and uh, I like to mix that with more like high end design stuff yeah it's fun to kind of play around with that I've gone through a lot of phases in the way that I dress and made a lot of well not mistakes but like you know I've worn things that I would, I would cringe at now if I, if I saw me but yeah I've always experimented with clothes and had a lot of fun with them. I've done a lot of cringe pictures. I'm glad that I was trying. I really failed a lot of times. I feel like right now I'm, I'm well, I mean, I probably thought this at every stage, but I feel like I've got to a point yeah, where I know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? But I kind of feel like this is the time. You know, like, uh, you, you have to take those chances. You know, you don't want to look back and feel like you didn't, especially, I don't know, I'm, re- I'm really into sort of age-appropriate dressing as well, right. and I really think, like, while you're young, that's your time to try things that are ridiculous and ugly and over-the-top and kind of try things that maybe you don't think are you necessarily, and there's also things that I feel like probably couldn't wear because... Mm, you know they would see older people much more oh yeah I think as you as you grow older your appearance changes in lots of ways Um, and I am uh, definitely like I've changed my appearance according to my age from about now and I I, I look back at 
I looked. I think I looked pretty good when I was 15. Like I liked my look. Not most of my teenage years, I did not like my look. But I had like this one year where I had like really long hair and John Lennon glasses and like, bandanas I was wearing. And, 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 I, I, and I, I just really looked good for it. Like it kind of suited me. But that would never suit me now. And you know, like now I've got a beard and stuff like that. Like, that's something that wouldn't, you know, obviously didn't suit me when I was 15. You know. But I mean, I, I actually, I, I mean, I, I am a, a bloke that cares about dressing up. I mean, I do care about that stuff. I uh, know a lot of male friends who think that stuff's bollocks, but uh, I, I do enjoy it. But I am always a bit inhibited about uh, commenting it in a way because it's like it's not something that men should, like. We men have always done it. Yeah. Like if you go back through history, men have always been very concerned with their appearance and looking uh, impressive or whatever like ridiculous prestiges they had or whatever that were great and trendy to them. But it does seem like it's not something we're supposed to talk about, culturally speaking. Not. Maybe uh, that's not really true of the circles that I've run in. Ah, I guess. Okay. Like, you know, my friends, they're just as into it as me. And cool. it's, a, yeah, it's a big topic of conversation. Do you think that you're like, like right, there's a word I'm going to say and I know they may offend you. But do you think people might call you a hipster? I was. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, that's the thing about hipsters, actually. I mean, oh, I think about this. Because I was very excited. I'm like, I've got a hipster for my program. <laughs> How diverse am I? Well, the, funny thing, the funniest thing about hipsters is that no hipster will ever admit that he's a hipster. So maybe I am one. I don't know. But I was in Edinburgh and I was walking uh, on the, down the Golden... What is it? The Royal Mile. Royal Mile. And uh, someone handed me a flyer and said, come to our new musical. It's about hipsters, so you should love it. And uh, to, to hear that and be like, oh, maybe. I am one. I obviously look like one. I'm like a person in my 20s who's like into style and I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure I go to a lot of places that would be consi- like considered hipster places. Yeah, I guess that's true. Wow, when you said a person in my 20s, I realised that I can't say I'm a person in my 20s these days. That's a sad thing. Yeah, I guess that happens to us all, realising that we're not in our 20s. Okay, so you, you, are you not a hipster or you are a hipster? You're saying that you wouldn't admit to it if you were? Well, I think kind of, I don't think any hipster can admit that and it's for other people to say so okay. that can be your right. decision but I, like, I mean the thing is I, the thing I find that's interesting about hipsters is it's just another it's just another fashion trend mm-hmm. and, I, and I've been always interested I mean I'm actually quite a I don't like to be in any fashion like fashion almost makes me a bit kind of like I guess I'm really against like rules and stuff like that so I, I find fashion a little bit oppressive but I really like to borrow from different like styles so I really like punk style I really like hip hop style I really like what's it called the thing that everybody does that has bowler hats in steampunk yes uh, and, I, and I really like lots of these things but I like to put them together and it's like I like to have I, I was doing this thing and I think I still will do it where I used to wear ties but only with t-shirts mm-hmm. I, I don't like ties and colours mm-hmm. like I don't like the formalisation of any s- rules so I find it really like that's that's how I am about fashion but I also think that all of those groups are equally cool like I'm properly like think that punk is cool and I properly think that all of these groups are cool together and so I, when people who used to be in those groups go hipsters they're ridiculous I'm like Actually, hipsters are not ridiculous. I mean, they are, but they're just as ridiculous as anybody is when they're in that thing, and they're also cool. I bet. Like, 
Although I do find glasses that are real problematic. Well, do you have glasses that are real? I will confess that I, uh, yeah, I have worn some fake glasses in my time. I tell you why, right? Having glasses, you got to earn that. You got it's brutal, right? Like if you haven't got eyesight problem, you don't get to look cool. <laughs> you didn't have to do the pain to get there. That's why glasses wearers are all like sniffy about it. But I think whatever people think looks good. Like I don't have a problem with glasses. Do look good. Like I, I can understand. They do. They look cool. I, I have a pair that are well. They're a really nice pair of glasses, and I just had. Uh, I bought them from a real glasses store, and just had you know, window glasses. And I don't really wear them. I'm just saving them for the day when I will actually need glasses. So. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I have worn some kind of big nerd glasses, you know. Why not borrow from different trends? It's not a problem, you know. I've I got no problem with it. The other thing people don't like is fixed gear bikes today. I know, I don't know why that is like. I have no idea why anyone has a problem with that because at the end of the day, if it is more effort, which people say it is, I don't know anything about cycling, but if it's more effort, so what? Somebody decided to put more effort into pedaling, does that really affect your life in any way? Like, I have no idea why people have a problem with that. Yeah, it's not. That's. I do have a, a close friend who's into all that stuff, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I don't get it. Um, I have kind of a cool bike. I have a uh, like a Triumph, one of those sort of Wayfarer bikes, you know, okay. with the really thin wheels that I was riding around for a while. That looks pretty cool, but uh, it's not the most like robust of bikes. Like you couldn't really ride it anywhere apart from on the, on the road. Yeah. I actually went to see that hipster musical in, in Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious um, because you know it was really young people doing it. It was like school kids, and I just I just wanted to see what their idea of uh, hip hop was. Sure, sure. And um, you know, like I, I I just thought, does this person really exist? Like, no, I don't think they do. Uh, it's the thing. It's just, like you must have seen that. You must have seen the YouTube video. What, uh, yeah, they've been being yeah. okay. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I find, like all of my friends love that video, but I, I find it problematic. I do find it to be like, why are we writing off a group of the, the public? Like what? Like because it's. I think that that video does have a kind of level of scorn that I don't think I want to see mm-hmm. about any group of people who are as diverse as any group of people and and are interested in aesthetics and so like the people who are like laughing at it they might be interested in another aesthetic thing like, you know that that was big that video would have been funny to people who are into grime mm. and people who are into grime have got a, a massive interest in aesthetics and, and fair enough I like their aesthetic too you know so so why are they going to like have grief with each other I mean I don't think I could get behind the hipster thing personally to wear because I don't I don't want my my legs out all the time in the cold but uh, that's perfectly cool. I mean, to me, like, I, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't like, or I haven't like looked at hipster people and their look and thought like, oh, I'm gonna do that look. I'm just interested in fashion, I guess, and probably they'd all say the same thing. So. Yeah, I think they would. Of course, they would. I, I, it's, it's, it is just other people who want to group everyone together yeah. to, you know, to have a way to identify. No, absolutely. Them, so. And it's weird when they do it, especially when they do it wrongly. Like I, I always found it was weird when I was growing up, like and occasionally get grouped into a couple of different groups. I mean, I wasn't in any of the groups really. I was just you know on my own, being bullied most of the time in my my childhood. But anyway, um, one of the things that I definitely want to talk to you about, the time, I'm actually while I'm doing this.
If you're enjoying getting better acquainted with me and with my guests, maybe you'd like to help other people find out about the show. There's a few easy ways to do that. You can go on iTunes if you've got five minutes and leave a review saying what you think of it. That helps it get higher rankings on iTunes and stuff like that. What the show really needs is word of mouth. And in this internet age, that means liking the show's page on Facebook or retweeting it or sharing the link to all of your Facebook friends or Twitter followers, doing whatever you need to do in whatever social networking site you use. And if you don't use a social networking site, well, hey, you can just tell your friends or email your friends and tell them about what's going on. Yeah, one of the things that I wanted, the only, the only thing really that I knew that I wanted to talk to you about, the only thing that I really know about, which is in both of your stories, for Spark, is, I mean, you, the listeners won't realise this, although they may guess from the fact that you're a hipster that you are white, but you come from the Caribbean. I lived in the Caribbean. Right. You weren't born there. I was born here. How old were you when you went there? Four. Right. Yeah, I don't have mm, really any memories. Maybe a few here and there, but just I mean, very little about living here. I moved to the Cayman Islands at four, and then lived there for four years, and then moved to the British Virgin Islands, and lived there for another five years, and then at 13, moved back here. Okay, so you moved around quite a lot, mm. and you moved intercontinentally. I moved around quite a lot when I was a child, only within the UK, so I kind of understand the moving around bit, but I don't understand the culture difference. Do you associate more with like two cultures, or do you feel like more British culture, or what do you feel? I don't associate at all, really, with the culture there. I think of myself as British and because I I felt like I was like starved for British culture while I was there and I had like England up on the pedestal and really wanted to go back I'm still not sick of it like the novelty hasn't worn off that's really interesting my 13 year old niece Mm -hmm. lives in Germany and she has the same kind of thing about like she longs like she loves Britishness and I I don't because I've lived here all the time I'm a bit like it's not, it's not that great of the place. Yeah. So do you have that thing? Yeah, the novelty like hasn't worn off for me. Wow. Yeah, and I feel like you know it's, it's changing all the time. Like, I mean, coming from a place that never changes, like you go back there years later, and pretty much everything's the same. It's all the same people hanging around together, and all the same places you go. Do you think it's Britain or London? Though? Oh, probably London. Because I mean, like, I go back to Cardiff. Actually, Cardiff is quite different since the Olympics and stuff. But Generally speaking, it hasn't changed culturally that much. I'm not that familiar with anywhere else in England but London. London is interesting. London is an interesting place to live. People find it hard and people find it wonderful. And there's a vast ways that people react to it. But you can't say it isn't interesting. That's a definite thing. Everyone must do it, I think. Even people who hate it can't say it's not interesting. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I just feel so lucky, really, like, constantly to be able to live here. <laughs> I really do. Why did your family go to the Caribbean, and why? Why did you, like what, what? Why did this story happen? Well, I mean, they went because why wouldn't you? Like, I'm, I guess, the exception to the rule. Like, they all get a lot out of 
being there, they really love their life there, and they went because they were living in England, and you know it's cold and whatever, and they don't. Yeah, I can understand why they want to, but I don't understand how they can. Like, what, what is what is it about the fact? Like, were, they, were you quite well off, or were you oh, no, military? Not, or there's lots of reasons to move. Not really at the time. I think it was just a job opportunity that came up uh, from my dad to be. Uh, he's an accountant. Okay. So yeah, job opportunity in the Caribbean. Right. And they were they were kind of nomadic. They were into living in different places. They lived in South Africa, and they're, you know they're cool like that. They really love traveling, and yeah. That was why we ended up doing it, and it just sort of turned out that I wasn't into it. I didn't, I didn't really particularly like living there. You know, I've, I've talked about this on stage. Like the things I was into, you just couldn't do. Right. So, and and actually, that is like really interesting to me because people talk about like being like say born a certain way. Like, you're, like I was born to do this or whatever. Yeah. Say that, especially about art. Yes. yes. People do say that. About lots of things. But what outside influences were really making me want to do that when there wasn't the outlet for it at all? Yeah. Like I feel like that is something that must have come from within and it was there you know, I don't know. so what were, what were the things you couldn't do I was really into performing and singing dancing and yeah it's weird like I wasn't the most like outgoing person like I was I think I was probably a bit shy but yeah just I just loved being like theatrical and over the top and I like costumes and definitely dressing up big How things how did that go down with the people there um, well, I mean, <laughs> I mean okay, people just, it's always hard to know what to do with me, and being, you know, one of the only people who was interested in that particular thing, I did end up kind of making my own platform in a way like I would get everyone else involved in doing shows maybe or I'd find ways to perform and to do what I want but it wasn't the real world platform that I like, really wanted. In terms of like living in a place where there are a lot of close-minded people and where there are people who live there who have never left and being like the way that I am, looking the way that I do, I don't really make any concessions when I go there to change the way that I dress so I have, you know, earrings and whatever, and my clothes actually fit. I have had some negative reception from people. I feel like growing up, it was just more being different. Just, oh, I'm into the stuff that no one else is into. I just had a way about me that was not really the same as anyone else. I connected a lot with girls, not so much with boys, because I was into stuff that girls could relate to more, you know? Yeah. Not really into boyish things, and sort of like sports or whatever, okay. so, you know, like if that's what your personality is in this country, it probably isn't that easy. I share some of those qualities, I mean, when I was growing up, probably in a different way to you, like I wouldn't have sat with girls and talked about fashion too much, like I... <laughs> I like fashion for myself, but unless I'm actually getting ready to go out, I don't talk about it. Mm. But I talk to girls about like relationship stuff. Mm. Like I, I like to talk about. I like to talk. I mean, that's why I do this show. I like to talk, get into the deep stuff, and I'm quite happy to get into emotional stuff as well as intellectual stuff. And so I used to hang out with the girls a lot and talk about their problems and their love lives. Frustrating, obviously, because you know at the same time as I was doing this, I was being their friend, and what I wanted. What it would have liked to have been after this their lover, you know. But, uh, 
you, you take the cards you dealt. But I did enjoy those conversations. I did enjoy that. I've, I've often sort of felt like I didn't fit in in masculine terms. Like I didn't like sports or any of that stuff. It was weird in this country too. I think it, that's always going to be hard. Mm-hmm. That is the problem. And, and I would say Cardiff is quite like that. Like and there's people who kind of have never left Cardiff. Like when you go, I love Cardiff, but they definitely are pockets of communities where they've not left their community. Everywhere I've lived has had, had that kind of element about it. I think. It's only London. And even London, they find the right com- pockets of community to learn. Well, I mean, that's the thing about London, and it's the thing about just getting older, is that you, know, you come to a place like this, and whatever it is that you're into, you're going to find other people who are into it too, and you can find yeah. a tribe, and you know, you can feel accepted with them. You know? Well, that's what, I mean, we were talking a little bit off mic about Dan Savage, who I like. I mean, that's what he says, absolutely. like, about if, if, you're, if you're gay and or a lesbian, go to a big city, absolutely. and you can find your people. Absolutely. And that's yeah, that's what I always tell people who are living in a place like that and are not satisfied and and feel alone. It's like you don't even know. Like just go to a place like that and find your tribe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You you think you're weird, but there are so many weirdos just like you. You know. Yeah, no, that's really true. I feel that. No, that's really that is really true. The, the spark story that I first heard you told was also the one that you told on stage with me. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, I thought that was about was how the internet kind of allowed you to have a kind of a, a nice relationship with your mother like you were buying these figurines I mean do you want us to set up the story a little bit before I sure, ruin just, it like, right. but, um, basically I bought these little ceramic figurines from my mum for Christmas that exactly matched her real dogs and like they just looked exactly like them and then um, uh, like I bought them off eBay and you know they were like just tacky and funny and I just thought they were cute and so she like put them in her kitchen and then she ended up uh, she ended up adopting this dog that she found on the street (laughs) that just followed her home and then she like really like randomly named it as soon as she looked at it in the face she like whipped around and looked at it and said hello Bella and like she was trying to not encourage the dog to like follow her and just in this one moment she felt compelled to just look at it and she said hello Bella and you know the way she said it to me was that it was like someone else was speaking through her and she just knew that that was the dog's name so yeah she ended up taking this dog home and then she called me and was like can we get a figurine for Bella like we have for the other two dogs so I ended up finding one on eBay that, that matched yeah for me to tell the full story would take no 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 I don't expect to tell the whole story but I mean that's what happened that that story speaks to the fact that your parents are still in the Caribbean mm-hmm. and you're here mm-hmm. and so you had this kind of really nice I mean that story I think is what I like about it is just like it's kind of love expressed through the internet like mm-hmm. through research or it's like through googling mm-hmm. you know you had to find the, the right figurine to pick that new dog and that's quite a like that's a labour of love that's about aesthetics as well it sounds like it gets your interest as a person like you started it in a way by the first figurines didn't you which is and it's that's nice I mean when did you move here? at 13 uh, 2001 and did your parents stay there? yeah why did you move here at 13? I wanted to do drama and yeah I wanted to be an actor so I uh, got a place at this drama school like a fame school and yeah moved here 
What was like? What was it like in the fame school about your parents at thirteen? Um, it was strange, I guess. I mean, that was when I first, I mean, started to like. I don't know. I feel like now I'm really good at spending time alone, and I feel like I have a good relationship with myself, and I get a lot out of being alone. And if I'm with people for too long, I just need to go, and you know, um, it's something I need. I feel I need. My girlfriend. It can be hard to. It can be hard to. I like. I have. I've had to learn over time that the time on like the time on our own is different. Like I need time on my own too. Yeah. I had to learn that too. It's an important thing to know that you need to have time. Yeah, but I feel like some people don't. Like some people. Maybe just, some people don't. I feel like like extroverted people are just comfortable. They're the most comfortable when they're talking to people, and it just feels unnatural for them to be alone. Whereas me, like at the end of the day, to come into the house, like that's me. Kind of at my best, or you know, like I just feel the most at peace. Yeah, and I'm alone, I guess. But yeah, that was, I feel like, the start of that because you know, I was, I was living with a woman who was kind of my you know, caregiver, just like an au pair, and didn't make a whole lot of friends while I was there. So yeah, I guess I ended up spending a lot of time alone. That wasn't my choice, though. Sure, I mean, I know you're, in, I know you're, you might be introverted. I mean, my girlfriend's introverted, she believes that. I don't know if you heard that book, like Quiet, by Susan Cowman or something. I that might that might may or may not be the author. But they like I don't like saying factual things on the podcast gets cut out too much, but that's all about like how introverts need to reclaim like that the system is set up for extroverts and it's not fair and it needs to be pushed back. And I, I totally understand where that's coming from. I feel like now, yeah, I feel like I own it a lot more, and like that's who I am. And, and actually, people have remarked that it's an attractive quality to be kind of quietly confident and not talking all the time. Yeah. But I think at the time, just you know, being younger and being especially at a drama school where like everyone's loud and everyone's just trying to sing the loudest, basically. Yeah, yeah. And that was tough because I, I wasn't one of those people and, and I felt like I didn't measure up to them I guess I mean, did you feel like you didn't do well in that school I did I did actually do well in it they have an agency that's part of the school so every kid there is on the books and they all go for auditions all the time and they can just take so much time off school to go and be in plays or whatever and that was a real status thing if you got parts and you got paid you know uh, work as an actor then it was like street cred basically and there was this chart outside the agency door which was within the school of everyone's name in the school and if your name was highlighted that meant you had to go in and talk to them about something and if your name got highlighted a lot then it's clear that you were doing well and, and that you were talented you know so I think while yeah, there were definitely certain classes and I wouldn't I would definitely wasn't popular being good at that and like getting some parts and, and, and working yeah I felt like I succeeded in that way so you were a teenager I guess. Yeah, I was older than child. Yeah, 13, 14. Yeah, really insane because, you know, coming from the Caribbean and like knowing about this particular school and, you know, just being obsessed with TV and movies and like being so jealous of child actors and wanting so badly to do that and then getting to do it. It, It was corny, but it was totally a dream realized. 
Well, that's great. Yeah. It's really cool. What sort of, what sort of acting did you do? The biggest thing I did was a commercial for Fruit Roll-Ups. Okay. Which played in America. Because of my ability to do an American accent, I got cast as an American in lots of things. I feel like that was... I just had the edge there, I guess. Maybe over other kids. Because that comes from your, like, Caribbean tinge to your voice. Like, you haven't got an English accent, have you? Uh, no. There's another Spark story, which probably you haven't heard, that uh, covers that. Okay. Basically, I just I just kind of had a very fluid accent as a kid and was always maybe picking things up from places. I don't really know how I spoke. Probably just spoke with a very neutral English accent because that's what my parents speak. And then when I went to this drama school, I got a lot of attention for doing an American accent in a in a improv class, doing a sketch, and just kind of stuck after that because people like were paying attention to me and it was marking me out as different and unusual and exotic or whatever and I just kept doing it and yeah I just stuck so I, I don't think I have an American accent if Americans heard me speaking they wouldn't think I do but it's sort of yeah it's not an English accent either somewhere somewhere something different and you know depending on who I'm speaking to often it'll kind of change yeah well that, I, my, my accent's a little bit like that like sometimes this podcast catches that because if I speak to someone from Cardiff I go back to mm-hmm. more Cardiff kind of voice and mm-hmm. I can go a bit more Midlands or a bit more Northern because I've lived in all these places growing up I think when you when you live in a place when you're young mm-hmm. the accent kind of you absorb it in a completely different way than when you're older mm-hmm. I don't know like probably going to keep evolving I you know at this point I really love English accents I wish I had a pure you know like that was from a particular place in England or London I really love the London accent but yeah it's kind of it's what I've got yeah yeah you just gotta be happy with what you've got for sure and, you know it's, it's definitely different it's definitely unique so but yeah yeah that's true it's not a bad thing and so what happens at the end of fame well kind of after doing that for a couple of years I think becoming like being in the late teens becoming more insecure being like the whole thing was embarrassing didn't want to make a spectacle of myself in the same way just feeling insecure in lots of ways and then feeling like oh, I can't do this I'm not going to be good enough kind of thing really I haven't voiced this to that many people but I felt like at the time that I have a, I don't really know how to put this, but a natural, maybe femininity isn't really the right word, but, you know, so we would say camp or kind of, just a kind of a, kind of a gay way about me. Yeah. And I felt that that was something that I couldn't overcome to the point where people would, would believe me as, let's say, like a romantic lead. I didn't really feel like those were parts that I could get. And... I, I just felt like if I couldn't do that how was I going to really make it in the business yeah. you know like because it's so competitive and if I couldn't play any part out there come on you could be the you could be the gay cam gay guy you could be well, that you could, you could have been you could have been how, casting with him great well exactly and how many parts are there for that guy like it's just such well a, the, the, there's maybe a few but it's, it's the same part all the time you, know, you, you either get typecast 
I don't know, in a way that role is a little bit offensive, but that role is always there, like there is a lot more variety in gay people than you ever see in representations, like that's the acceptable place of gay. Mm. And that's the only part that gets played by a real gay person. Every other gay male role is played by a straight guy. Yeah, especially if it's a romantic lead. Absolutely. And especially if it's a huge movie. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, we're kind of screwed. So it's not a question I would normally ask anybody and it's never been an issue before because I've known everybody enough I've known what their sexuality was generally I think before I started speaking but I I yes right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something that you would like it's, it's a weird one like with, with, with friends who are gay like before I went to the podcast I've like sort of said to them that I don't want to make the podcast a feature and I don't want that to be a feature mm. but I only had, I wanted to ask in this case just because if you weren't gay <laughs> it would be really interesting to hear what it's like to be really camp mm-hmm. and not gay because I don't think I'm anywhere near camp enough to justify it but lots of people you know have said that I'm gay you know, they I've asked if I'm gay yeah I know they have not got correct gay dialogue I, like, I, I, I think I consider myself to have much better gay dialogue than most people who thought I was gay I normally kind of get it right and I would have I would have said that you were gay before, before but I have to ask you kind of well, it's interesting, the whole gaydar thing, because... <laughs> I know it's bollocks, it's just a word for, like, sussing people out. Well, it's interesting because we all think we have really good gaydar because the only people we can actually tell are gay are, have these outward qualities, yeah. you know, that they have things that mark them out as gay, and yet there could be so many gay people in the room that you really have no idea we're gay. That's kind of true, but the reason I think I've got good gaydar is I'm quite good at finding those... You think you can tell those? Well, if you listen back to the episode of Henry, my friend, you'll hear about how, like, when he came to Apples for Everyone, like, which was my band, it was a big group of us, like, I was the one that thought, like, I was the one that thought he was gay. He's, he's, he's quite a, a straight gay guy. Like, right. Shakes your hand. You know, very straight. And I, and I, I sort of, t- I vaguely talked about this on his podcast with him. Because even though I wanted to take, I, w- I didn't want to, ha- like, make it about his sexuality, it just so happened that he got engaged, and so he wanted to tell me that. So <laughs> we had to get into it because it was an engagement story. It's so tricky, and I didn't know. Topic because you don't. I know what you're saying. Like you don't want to make an issue out of it. Yeah. You want to treat everyone the same. Like you, like obviously, if you're talking to a straight person, you wouldn't talk about their straightness with them. No. And yet, I feel like it is sort of necessary. It's a necessary conversation to have because it's still sort of remarkable. Yeah, I have some anxiety for the same reason. I think when I'm talking to people who are not white to the show, because you're absolutely right. Like I shouldn't be defining them by their race. If I'm not talking to every white person about being white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I should, but at the same time, you can't ignore the fact that it is significant. And it has, a, yeah, it has a significance to their experience of the world. And I want to get down people's experience of the world. And I, it's it's a tough line to tread. And I mean, some people, are, I guess, occasionally are going to accuse me of reducing people to their their race. But I mean. At the end of the day, I'm not very good at not naming the elephant in the room. Like I, I talked to you about being a hipster, that's that's an assumption. But sometimes I find as well on the show that if I make an assumption, I'm, I'm very more than happy that somebody breaks that assumption and says no. Like, like I, I was hoping you were going to say you weren't, because like. 
that's even more interesting, isn't it? I think like like that's even rarer to talk to someone who's really really camp. Although I'm saying you're really really camp, but like a camp uh, straight person. Like that 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 must happen. I mean that must happen. And I guess I must be a little bit camp, or people would occasionally. Say, okay. Yeah, I got it much more when I was a teenager. I think now I look less gay. I don't see it. I was skinny and like wore eyeliner. Uh, I guess uh, that's actually if I were to bring my three closest friends who are all straight to the island like the island where my parents live I'm sure they would get the same kinds of things yelled at them that I get at me just, and they're not gay they yeah. just, you know what I mean like, there's just like they're like me like they're interested in fashion they wear like clothes yeah. maybe they're not afraid of looking a bit androgynous or whatever no, well, I, I actively wanted to look androgynous when I wore that eyeliner I'm not going to lie I mean I I, I, I am straight I know because I've tried I've tried I've tried, I've tried gay it didn't work really? really? Uh, a little bit anyway that's cool well it's, it, I guess it's cool it, it was more of a kind of I don't know it felt like I was doing someone a favour but I, I, anyway the, the thing is I didn't get very much out of it I'm, I hope they got something out of it I don't think they did but I, that taught me that, that that was the moment when before that I was like I kind of wanted to I guess I wanted to be a bit gay so I, I guess I kind of thought it was cool maybe I thought it was cool I, I, I certainly thought it would um, like I like the idea that everybody can just fall in love with anybody regardless of what their gender is you know but it's not true uh, some people can like there are I'm not saying bisexuality is no, yeah, alive but, 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 but I'm, I'm most certainly straight um, and I know that from yeah, having tried it. I'm sometimes I'm a little bit attracted to guys, but much more into. I guess there's something about them I'd like to be, you know, rather than I, I don't want to like, have sex with. <laughs> I mean, I guess I feel the same way about women. Though I have real and drawn to women in a way that I'm not drawn to men. And yeah, there's certain women that I'm just fascinated by, and I just like love everything about them. I think they're beautiful, and I love their bodies even. But yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. I, I feel like bisexuality is probably so much more prevalent than anyone really realizes. I, I know men who live a completely straight life, and no one in their life knows that they have any gay feelings, and they do some really gay stuff. Yeah. So, and I kind of feel like for people like me, who you know, as a young person who, who had all the mannerisms that I do, it was pretty obvious to everyone, you know, and people would ask me at the time, like, when I was, and thankfully it was a drama school where I actually got kudos for, for coming out. Yeah, you wouldn't have got that in my school. Really? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really thankful for that. Like, I was always so impressed by the gay guys at school, like, the, the couple of them that came out, like, so many guys in comprehensive schools wait reasonably so until they go to uni yeah and I think probably the ones who, who did come out really were probably ones who would have a hard time hiding it because yeah because they were really camp that absolutely so what's what I reckon happens to uh, what I know happens to a lot of bisexual guys is you know no one's asking them because they're not outwardly there's no outward sig- you know, uh, signals they maybe get involved with a girl and that's very easy and they're very attracted to a girl and yeah they do have feelings for guys but you know why make Life any difficult, you know? Yeah, if you've got 
hard choice, like there's the socially acceptable choice is the easier one to take for sure. And like it sounds like that sh- obviously it shouldn't be true, and it's you know obviously easier now than it's ever been. But you know, there, there are still challenges that you face. It, it, it would be for, for some people they would find it much easier to live a straight life. Like I'm 100% like thank you know I'm so thankful. I love being gay. I love everything about it, and I wouldn't change it. Yeah, that's great. Definitely wouldn't. If I could, when you're at that critical stage where you know, for me, I didn't have a choice. I'm not in any way attracted to girls, so I couldn't. I, if I wanted to have a relationship with any sort with anyone, I'd have to tell people that that's what's going on. And, you know, I definitely like to believe in a world where men like these men I'm talking about who have sexual feelings for both could um, acceptably have relationships with both. But I frankly think that, you know, people would find it threatening. Well, I think the heterosexual community needs to take lessons slightly from gay struggle. Like, I think that we, we all should be much more free to express our sexuality, whatever our sexuality is. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. A lot of the problem is nobody tells anybody about their other interests. If they, you know, a lot of people hide their sexuality. Like if it's like you're right, if you're gay or you're a lesbian, you kind of have to come out. You have to at some point, or you're going to live a life all your life. But if you kind of have the heterosexual privilege, but you also have these other interests, it's really, really hard for that person to be honest. And it's hard for us to be honest about what it is to be human if we don't all tell each other what we're doing. I mean, it's funny in a world where we have Facebook and Twitter and everybody's telling everybody what they're doing every moment of the day. They're not telling people some of the most significant things, sort of fighting for the right to be different. We don't know. We we all look around and we feel a little bit trapped by how normal everybody is. You know, we like feel like we need to be as normal as them. We need to have like a house and a car and kids and all of these things. Like, not everybody wants that, but they don't talk about you know the people who are having these other kind of sexualities aren't really talking about it. That's something I've learned a lot from from listening to Dan Savage's podcast mm-hmm. or, right, right, right. or from living my life. Obviously, it's harder to be gay because there is a lot more prejudice against it. So it's not like I'm saying gay people have got it easy. No, no. But it's got to a point where they can be open within the debate and a lot of heterosexuals are not being open. They need to just embrace each other, you know. And just, <laughs> that sounds like a come on, but yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. I think, I think that because, you know, because some gay people, I guess or a lot of gay people have had to announce to the world that they are a sexual being just saying that you're gay you you have to say to people I feel sexual feelings towards something which is something that straight people never have to say because it's assumed and so I guess it can be harder for them to have any dialogue about uh, anything more specific but you're being open about your desire and so many straight people are keeping their desires hidden even from them even from each other and even from themselves Mm -hmm. which is not a judgement on those people Mm -hmm. but I do think that if we could have a more open dialogue about sexuality mm. would change people's attitudes mm. yeah. like I, I like you know I see post I saw, saw a poster the other day for Mr. Tumble I, I work in children's centres I work with children of the five and he's, he's a CBBC under five star you know he's like a clownish type thing that does 
sign language with the children. I thought, I wonder what his sexuality is. I wonder what he does in bed. You know, if everybody knew what Mr. Tumble did, like say he was into BDSM, I am not saying for the record that Mr. Tumble is into BDSM. But if Mr. Tumble was into BDSM, that would not make any difference to him being a great children's entertainer. And if we all knew that Mr. Tumble was into BDSM, I really have to underline that I, I'm not saying that. Just for, I don't want to be super liable, but if we if we could all just say that that was the case and it didn't have that kind of weird thing where someone's like, you've got some kind of deviant sexuality so you shouldn't be able to work with children mm-hmm. I mean you know that, that's that's a big problem for gay people like say Mr Temple is gay that would totally make people feel differently about it which is strange because it means that if, he's, if he is straight you know like he, he, he's having sexual thoughts about some of those mothers who think he's really cute like you think he's a lovely influence on their, their children it doesn't mean he's a bad children's entertainer you know it means that that he is a human being that has sexual thoughts you know but we can ignore it if it's sexual sexual we can kind of neutralise it absolutely that's so true yeah, yeah. If, if he's gay we automatically think of sex and then the idea of sex and children that makes everyone obviously really uncomfortable yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hate that about it. Like, I, I'm, I, I'm a man that works with children under five. I hate the fact that because I'm a man, some people are going to be suspicious of me. Like, it's just ridiculous. But at the same time, I'm not saying there aren't paedophiles out there or whatever, but it, it does feel strange to sort of have a little bit of... I guess it's a little bit of the feeling of what it's like for, to be a bit gay or to be different within culture like people, people are suspicious of me in that way. I mean people also think it's great that I work with children but get me wrong being a man is my best uh, it's one of my two main kind of qualities that make me good at my job like, uh, being a man and playing the ukulele what makes people like go wow which is a, a bit unfair because the women in my team they work they do much better they do much better than I do but because they're not men and they don't play the ukulele like a lot of the time people don't like people ask for them. They, they shouldn't ask for them. not as good as the other people in the team well, you have in my opinion point. yeah I do you, you have something different about you and, and, and I guess you know yeah sure and you know it's funny like it is such a rare thing to see men working with children under five that it does kind of it is kind of almost a kind of it changes the way people think a little bit like I I work with teenage parents sometimes and I I know they've had a terrible experience of heterosexual men and I think that isn't that you know sometimes I think that's good to them to see an example of of some another thing that heterosexual men can be because Heterosexual men, if you take us by our worst, we're pretty hard to like, you know. Uh, but we're not all our worst. You know. Just like the worst gay guys are not great posters, boys, for, for, for gay people. You know. The worst people aren't good poster, poster boys for people, all girls for people. So, since there's another pause in the conversation, It seems like a good time to mention that tomorrow, that's Thursday the 28th of March, so if you're listening to this later than that, unlucky, there's another night of stand-up tragedy, which is my live variety night where people come along and they do tragedy. It's got music, it's got comedy, it's got true storytelling, some spark regulars will be performing. It's really worth checking out. And it's also podcast over at www.standuptragedy.co.uk 
or you can find that on iTunes and SoundCloud as well. And that's a weekly podcast, comes out on Fridays, featuring a different act from the live show every week. It's really brilliant, and it's being produced by a young lady called Bryony Hawkins, who I am very impressed with her work, both her work ethic and her skills. And it's so good to have somebody else working on stuff with me and taking some of the pressure off. So, really worth checking out that new improved podcast. And now, back on with this one that I edit on my own in my bedroom. So, that this has been a surprisingly. Uh, it's one of the nice things about this conversation. I had no idea where it was going to go. So it's been real kind of interesting seeing where it went. I should say we're in the Candid Cafe, which is almost the most hipster cafe I could have thought of. Uh, but I do love it. Like, that's why I come here. It's quite strange. There's breasts behind you on the wall. It's quite, uh, as a heterosexual man, it's quite distracting to have breasts behind you. I was to try not to look at them. We're kind of sat on velvet throne-like upholstery, and uh, that's why that's why there's sound in the background, and that's that's the environment we've been in. Also, this is the first day I've used an electronic cigarette, so you're here right at the start. I think I'm probably going to use them quite a lot in the podcast, so people who get worried when they hear me smoking will feel a little less worried, maybe. Although I, I, I pull them all out, out of order, so sometimes I'm smoking, sometimes I'm given up sometimes I'm like so, so you never so you get a, 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 you've given up now mm-hmm. or is this just an indoor cigarette I oh, it's kind of like just an indoor cigarette but I hope it's going to be cheaper and I hope it's going to be better for my throat I'm not at this stage giving up tobacco first day of the electric cigarette and it's quite exciting does it have uh, does it have any uh, nicotine in it? yeah yeah it does it's quite kind of it's, it, it feels quite kind of thrilling to be able to smoke inside again it has a little you actually inhale a little bit of uh, vapour so it's pretty cool and you're also as we've been talking about clothes most of the time you're the, the, the first day of t- today I bought some shoes that were expensive shoes oh, really? like I have never bought shoes that were expensive before I always pay about £7 for shoes and then I wear them through in like two months and it's a false economy and I've got this job where I walk around a lot between different children's centres and I was, had holes in the bottom of my shoes for weeks so I really just needed to have like, every day was like going to work like, I love my job but I was basically walking around in a swamp all day because of the rain so I, I just when payday came I got these today from Clark's if they want to sponsor the podcast they can let me know yeah shoes are something I don't skimp on yeah I, well, I, I know it's true like people always say you should get good shoes you know you should that's a, it's a false economy and you know, I, I hope they're right because I don't I'm really like I spent extra money to get waterproof shoes like, out of the options like they're not as stylish as I'd like but they, they're all weather shoes so that's, that's that's the kind of essential 
than they'll last you. Yeah, so you're here, like, and, and the first day I've, I've worn a hat in, apart from on stage, in years. Like, I've only been wearing hats on stage. And it's funny, I, when I sign my name to people, I actually draw a little hat across the top. Like, I used to be completely known for hats, but the last few years it's felt a bit like a lie when I've been signing my name because I haven't been wearing hats. I used to wear a lot of hats and still do, and uh, there's this cafe near my office where I used to go every day and they never knew my name they just called me man in the hat for like a year and uh, yeah at my office I have a work nickname which is Chappers my last name is Chappers so basically no one ever really calls me by my name no one ever does. Well, people do, but you know, if you're talking to your friends, people don't often say. Yeah. You know. No, I had a nickname at school, which was the bullying nickname. Like, that traumatised me. They all called me Melvin. There's more, more about that in lots of other episodes. Dave is what I like to be called, but at work I'm called David, and it's very strange. Like I didn't get in quick enough at the beginning to change it, and then it was too late. So. I feel like it can be nice to have a, a work persona in a way, especially people are saying your name a lot. Yeah, you know it can be. Maybe uh, I always think like it, maybe it would be annoying people to say over and over again. It's kind of I think it would be a little bit. I do like having the distinction, but it becomes weird when your colleagues become your friends. Mm. Like there was like a t- there was like a moment in school where I had to tell all my friends to start calling me Dave and stop calling me Melvin because I wasn't cool with it. And so people calling me Dave definitely says to me that they that means that they know me that they're kind of invited in. So when I've got colleagues who have become friends, I kind of like. I don't want them to start calling me Dave because then everyone will start calling me Dave but at the same time I, I do want to have that kind of uh, intimacy with them I get so yeah so hopefully you're, you're in the, the first day of the new Dave but ironically this will come out in completely different sequence so you'll be hearing all sorts of different states of Dave in the episodes and that's how it works yeah so I've tried one of those things please yeah. well you can try it if you want I'm good I mean I'm curious but you don't want to well, inhale I, nicotine I quit smoking a year ago reasonable I, I quit for a year once it's really it's not impressive once it's done well <laughs> yeah I mean no one goes well done that must have been really hard for you well done but you like, started again quit for so like so many little periods you know in fact at one point I was buying a pack of, uh, of tobacco and then smoking one cigarette out of it and throwing it away because it would be like you know I break and then have one and then decide no I do actually want to quit and I would do that every couple of days and it was such a waste of getting so much tobacco and then finally my brother, who's totally clean, always has been, came and stayed with me for three months and I just thought this is it, this is a good opportunity to be spending so much time with him, that would be annoying for him if I'm going to be smoking and he's just not into it, so yeah, it was just a nice three months off and then well, that's good. I, when I actually gave up, I was ill, so I just let that be. Like I didn't want to smoke, and I needed that. But it, I kind of need to give up without anybody around because I kind of I'm a little bit like the Hulk. Like, I have extreme rage because I'm like when I'm coming off nicotine, like I really like Jones for it. Like I've, I've always come off cold turkey before. It's the first time I've tried not doing that because it's just not been. There's never been an opportunity to to try going cold turkey because I just do not want to be a pain in the ass to Jen, who I live with, and so. 
she doesn't need to see that. And I'm not, I don't like if I'm on my own, I can just rage, you know, like and distract myself, you know, and basically just act like I'm ill, you know, because it does feel like you're ill. Like, I'm really emotional. I think I'm really psych- psychologically addicted as well as physically addicted, so I think that's one of the reasons. I feel like I was probably having so much on and off by the time I did give up fully that it, I wasn't really going to take turkey, you know, like I was kind of one week on, one week off kind of thing. So I think I'd gotten myself used to it. But it absolutely is a psychological thing for me. I mean, it's part of that whole time alone thing, you know? It's like, this is me time and it's a break from everything you know, from, from the you know, moment I light it to the moment I put it out I don't have to do anything or beat anyone you know well I'm, I'm very similar as well I, I, I pack so much into my time but sick when I smoke it does give me a chance to be stressed and I'm, you know, I started again when I was highly stressed mm. there is a reason why that helps me mm. it's because it gives me those little break up moments and often that's very useful idea time as well the clarity for the project you're doing like if I'm editing I might get the solution to the problem you know when I have a cigarette it's it, oh yeah, that's something definitely something I miss when I do have stressful moments you know, when things are getting on top of me and there's no release you know there's you know you just have to try just sit with that feeling until it goes you know um, but I guess I'm getting more used to that and hopefully like that you know I always like to think about channeling certain feelings into other things and using them so like you know hopefully if you do have to sit with a negative uncomfortable feeling or you know an angry feeling or whatever you can use it you know? yeah yeah sure I totally agree that as a way of dealing with I mean, creating stuff is a hard, hard. It's not hard. Like it is hard. It's not hard. But you don't want to say it's like hard work, like working in a factory. And so it does become hard to talk about in an accessible way that people aren't going to think is. People are going to understand that it's fair. It does become hard to talk about the hardness of the creative process. But there can, there are, there are, you know, it's. Yeah. There is work that needs to be done and you need to like kind of plan it and there are there is a lot of psychological work. I know it sounds a little bit pretentious, but it's part of the process and you do have to sort of find how to harness your real life because real life is all around you kind of don't turn it off at the end of the day that's the thing is that everyone maybe it seems like artists are all like really tortured people or or really weird but it's only because they're using all that stuff in their work and they're actually being really vocal about it everyone is like that but they're just not telling you about it yeah Yeah. so that's why it seems like they're all so into their moods and you know their yeah well that's something I've really learned about doing getting better acquainted like if you you know you sit down and talk to anyone for an hour they They've got passions, they've got like lives that are really fascinating. You know, it's not just artists that have that stuff. But you're right, artists have to exploit their lives a little bit. And that's kind of, I mean, that's what's interesting about Spark. In theory, hopefully, it reaches out to people who aren't artists and gets them to stand up on stage and, and exploit their lives. 
in a performance, and that's, that's good. Absolutely. I think it's an interesting process for people going through. I found it really interesting. That is really what I love about Spark. That, you know, like I, I, I'm really into stand up comedy, I really love comedy, but, you know, there's a slickness and a performative element to so many stand ups. Um, you know, the way that they, that they deliver it. and uh, to you know with storytelling the way that Spark does it to go to see someone up there speaking in their own voice in the way that they would speak to a friend it's so you know it cuts through a lot of stuff doesn't it absolutely and it's sort of like this totally pure like art form in a way because it's you know that person's feelings and experiences aren't being dressed up as anything other than what they are you know and I always like I, like I really love movies and all different types of art that is maybe really abstract and where it, you know maybe it's all made up it's all fiction or something uh, and you do feel a connection to the artist when you watch that stuff but it's all being kind of coded you know all of their experiences and feelings are being expressed in this other way to just to just hear someone talk about things that have happened to them and reflect on them you know you can, it's so immediate you feel so immediately close to people that you've never met no absolutely that's what I find fascinating about Spark it's, it's kind of one of the things that inspires this podcast one of the things this podcast tries to do is just give people an unmediated experience of what it's like to, to to talk to someone and that's what we've been doing and it's been really cool it's funny as well I, like I said earlier on I mean I really am surprised I've done it a few times going into things not really knowing the person like you're probably quite an extreme person right? I haven't even been able to google you or like, but I could have googled you I probably could have done but I didn't um, have time because I'm a bit busy <laughs> so it's been really interesting to like get better acquainted with someone who is completely unknown to me and it's been I don't, I don't know, it's been nice so I've liked what I've found the last question I ask people is do you have anything to plug it's a weird one isn't it no not there yet I mean yeah one day I'll have stuff to plug well you were talking earlier on about wanting to start a podcast I think that definitely should, you should definitely do that I think everybody should should uh, start podcasts like, why not I mean, well, I mean, anyone who can, wants to, yeah, who's interested in it. I mean, it's definitely one of those things where I really do. Um, I really would like to make films, and I really have a strong interest in film. And I watch a lot of films, but like podcasts, like at the moment, that's what it's just my like cultural food that I'm constantly consuming. And I like you know every moment of the day, I'm probably listening to a podcast. I'm not talking to someone I know into a podcast and it does feel like well that's a really strong interest of mine it's probably something that I should yeah sure well that's what, how I felt as well I, I got obsessed with listening to podcasts in that kind of way too and uh, it does make you want to make one because mm. you kind of see what you like and what you don't like and you think about how you would do it mm. and stuff like that. it's funny like um, you know people who are really passionate about a certain thing does that mean that they should then try and make that thing I don't know if it's always true but you know well, what I mean if they do then we're thinking about with the podcast if you really want to make a film 
Well, you don't just need to have a microphone. You need to have a whole crew. Like, you need to have a budget. It's really hard. I want to write film, but I've never really written a film script because I just know it would be painful to have in a drawer because I just, until like, there's an opportunity for it to get to produce, like I can write a stage play mm-hmm. and I can get that produced at a low level, you know what I mean? Like, not the ones I write, so I always end up writing things that I'm producing around budget, but if I write a script or a story, there's something I can sell, like a, a, a stage script, a play, or a story, I can sell it, but a film script, it's just such an impossible dream. I, I, I just feel I need to get a reputation before I can even think about doing that. So I don't want to hurt myself by having that in the drawer and just saying, you can, you can film me, you can film me. I mean, yeah, it is that thing of there's so many people you're going to have to show that script to if you have one, and you're going to have to convince all of them that um, you know, to come with you and make this thing, and especially if it's something really new and different that you're trying to make, it makes it so much harder. It does feel like this is a medium that I get so much enjoyment out of, and I, I'm you know, constantly consuming it, and it's it's super easy to make. Easy to make. So, and you don't get network notes, like that's sort of something that you're talking about there, if you if you get your script you, even if someone's going to make your film they're probably not going to make your film they're going to make some other film that they decided to make mm. I mean I'm dealing I'm dealing with network notes at the moment with a project that I probably can't announce and probably shouldn't announce for pragmatic reasons because I'm going to slightly slate the notes but it's a weird thing to have a, an idea and someone say yeah make that idea and then the next thing they say is but make it X, Y, Z, a different idea, not, not the idea that was originally booked. Like, what I like about podcasts is I make mistakes, they're my mistakes. Like, I get notes and they're from the audience. And I learn from those notes. They're the most useful notes for people. I mean, don't get me wrong, I believe in editors, I believe in somebody giving you an outside eye. I just don't think the networks necessarily are that. Like, so often they're just people just who don't know anything about what they're talking about and they're just. Um, suggesting ideas for the sake of ideas like good ones aren't they must like me out so it goes like I'm I'm probably better off not talking anymore about this side of thing it's a weird thing like I always think like this like like now I'm I want to actually get commissioned by the BBC and things like this like like, I always feel like I'm in danger of starting to censor myself do you know what I mean saying things like dissing the system and then then they go well guess what let's close the door again but needs to be said really like I am under Nietzsche said it recently like he said you know, that's what needs to happen is TV people need to be allowed to make the TV they want to make and just be trusted like, trust trust the artists to make it the good thing about podcasts is that that part of the process isn't there but that does mean like the first podcast I made really really bad there's only some of it left I like to just highlight playlists and delete the rest but it was really a good learning experience absolutely Um, and what a great way to learn when you waste that money on the line yeah yeah, I think I'll give it a shot. I'm not you sure what I do exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'd really like to. I'll keep me posted. Sure. Anytime you're doing a podcast, I will certainly be writing the hell out of it. Whether or not your episode is quite out. 
out or not, because I'm recording quite a lot, so it might be quite a while before it goes out. So, which actually I think is quite interesting for the guests, because they get to hear what they were like a while back, rather than, like, if you heard yourself back next week, you, this, this conversation was still in your memory, like, six months down the line, it's like, oh, that's what I thought then. Well, yeah, to get to hear it more from the perspective of the other listeners as yeah. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you, Ben. The last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Bye. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.